morning. Yesterday, early evening, I was uh, looking at one uh, post by a church that said, listen, for all you people, in the last two or three minutes of that Bengals game made promises to God, if they won, we look forward to seeing you in church tomorrow morning. (laughs) That's the second week in a row they put that particular post up. Now, last week, you might remember that I read from one of my favorite verses from the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and it's the Jewish leaders and their observation regarding Peter and John. And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The truth is that most of the people that we are meeting and will meet in the book of Acts um, were just ordinary people like you and me whose lives become extraordinary because they, they embrace God right? and they let Him use them in ways that only He can. Henry Blackaby wrote these words. He said, when God was ready to judge the world with a flood, He came to Noah. When he desired to build a nation for himself, he turned to Abraham. When he heard his children groaning under Egyptian bondage, he appeared in a burning bush to Moses. They were three of the most ordinary of men, but God had work to do, and he knew just who to do it with. God has always given people assignments, Blackaby writes, that are too big for them to handle alone so that a watching world can see not what we can do, but what God can do. And Acts is full of these kinds of examples. Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. I want to point out for you why we called this series Unstoppable. And it actually comes from the text in Acts, but there's a lead up to it, right? The new church that Jesus had launched that we've been looking at for several weeks now, um, he launched through um, his followers, right? And, and it's exploding, and God is using the pattern that we saw last week, miracles and the message, to change the lives of many people. We read about what's happening and how it's playing out in Acts chapter 5. Pick up with me in verse 12. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds. (coughs) Excuse me on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And so the church is on fire, and it has been all through this book of Acts. And this time, the Jewish authorities, instead of arresting Peter and John, they arrest all the apostles. And they put them in jail. And it was in the evening, so they intended to call them in for questioning the next morning. The problem was God decided to let them all go. (laughs) He released them all. 
And so the next morning, the Jewish authorities went to guards and said, hey, bring the apostles here. But the apostles weren't there, much to the surprise of the Jewish leaders and of the guards who were supposed to be watching them. Instead, they were out on the streets preaching again. So this time in the daylight, they brought them before the leaders, and they, they arrested them, brought them before the leaders, and they preached to them in such a convicting way that these Jewish authorities finally just wanted to kill them. Right? They just wanted to eliminate them altogether. And so they're in a bait, debate about what they should do because they are really angry, and they've had enough. And all these Jewish people are turning to Jesus, and yet the people are loving what's going on. And lives are being changed, and eternities are being changed. And so they find a, finally end up listening to an older, respected Jewish leader named Gamaliel. And this is what Gamaliel says in verse 35 of Acts chapter 5. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. <laughs> Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Thus, the church became unstoppable, right? Because God is making all of this happen. And Gamaliel was right. If God is making it happen, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And so the church continued to grow, and it grew so large that they needed some other people to help the apostles take care of people that were in need and meet their needs. And so in Acts chapter 6, we see how they remedied the situation, beginning in verse 2. It says, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So you get the picture. The church has grown. The apostles are, are torn between taking care of the needs of these people and what God has called them to do, to preach and to pray. And so they bring these others alongside of them. And they lay hands on them. As we understand in the New Testament, laying hands on them also passed the, the spiritual giftedness to these apostles or to these servants for the miraculous gifts. And so we take seven ordinary men, okay? seven men or people, right, that could be just like any of us, seven followers 
of Jesus, who let the Holy Spirit lead in their lives and were recognized by the other followers of Jesus for their godly lives, for their faith, and for their wisdom. So the apostles prayed over them and they laid their hands on them. And God used them in some very special ways. The first one we read about, his name is Stephen. And Stephen was the first martyr, okay? A martyr being someone who died for a cause, right out of the chutes. Right after the apostles called them into service, Stephen is used by God in some incredible ways. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And he preached, and as you would expect, he was opposed by the Jewish leaders. That's the pattern, right? The miracles, then the message, then the pushback. And so the Jewish leaders um, were getting more angry, again, because all the people that were embracing Jesus, because now of Stephen's work beyond the apostles. So he he was arrested, and he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And, and when you read the text, you see they brought in false witnesses to accuse him because he was speaking against the temple and against the law, they said. And what was interesting was that while he was being falsely accused and then asked to defend himself, his response was noteworthy. Look at verse 15. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. He wasn't angry. He wasn't defensive. He was godly. And in response, since he had this audience of the Sanhedrin, he preached a message of truth. But that truth angered the leaders. And here's how it ended up. Look down in chapter 7 at verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in the midst of all of this chaos. He has a vision of Jesus now at the right hand of God and at this, verse 57, They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So Luke said when Stephen began to preach that they became furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Now the wording in the original language in the Greek is very similar to what we've already heard twice in this book where in response to a message that God has given the apostles in those times, it says they were cut to the heart. Okay? But this time they were not cut to the heart because of sorrow like it had been before. This time they were cut to the heart with rage. And with fury. And in a moment, everything changed. In an instant in the history of the church, the stakes became higher. 
before this when the church had, had, persecution, had experienced persecution. In these first few chapters of Acts, there, was, there were threats, right? Sometimes they were arrested. Maybe they spent a night in jail or something like that. But this time, like now that Stephen was murdered, the level of oppression begins to rise. Flip over to chapter 8. Look at the first three verses with me. It says, on that day, the day Stephen was murdered, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, thus far in the book of Acts, save the original followers, who be, people who became followers of Jesus and went back to their homes, wherever they might have been, all of the activity seemed to be centering in Jerusalem. But now, after the death of Stephen, the church began to spread rapidly, and it didn't spread because of some kind of strategic direction from the apostles. Instead, it was because of persecution. And in a moment, what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is happening. The church is thrust from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And yet, as the people left Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus left Jerusalem, look what it says in chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. So the apostles remained in Jerusalem, but these witnesses to God's work who were scattered, they were merely ordinary followers of Jesus. Right? The call to share Jesus is a call to every follower of Jesus, every believer. Every believer has the privilege, has the opportunity has the responsibility to be a witness of Jesus. That is our calling. It isn't just reserved for apostles or church leaders. And certainly God's power doesn't just rest on pastors. God uses everyone to extend his kingdom on the earth. Okay? And then in Acts chapter 8, a little bit later, we see the work of another one of these seven men that had been set aside for God's work in Acts chapter 6. And when we take a look at Philip, Philip the evangelist, when we were having our children um, and, and the fourth child was on the way, we were trying to decide between two names, okay? Nathan or Philip. And we thought, well, Nathan was a prophet, but he brought good news, <laughs> or brought bad news in the Old Testament to King David. And Philip, now, now he brought good news in the New Testament. But for whatever reason, we decided Nathan, Nathan is what it was going to be, right? Until the day before the child was actually born, and Kyle, our, our third child, who'd had no part in any of these conversations, just out of the blue came up and said, I think we should name this child Philip. Philip's a good name. <laughs> and so Philip it was, <laughs> Philip the good news. Philip the evangelist is what we know him as. Because when the Christians left Jerusalem, <clears throat> they took the gospel to different places. 
Okay? And we see this in part through the example of Philip. You're in Acts chapter 8. Look down at verse 5. It says, when Philip, then Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. Again, notice the pattern. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. The miracle once again gives way to the message. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Okay? And I would love to go through every story in the book of Acts more closely, but I'll look closer at Philip here. Like how God uses just an ordinary follower of Jesus in an extraordinary way to take the message of God to a man from Ethiopia. So look down at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. And so Philip starts in Samaria. By God using him to perform miracles and bring healing, and then preach the gospel message. And since the people were not so threatened by the work of God as they were in Jerusalem, since there weren't city leaders trying to squash them or eliminate them, since the gospel was more free, look what it says. There was great joy in that city. Then God sent him to someone who was ready to hear the gospel. Okay? And we see the gospel transition. No longer is it only going to be shared with crowds. Now it's also going to be shared with individuals. It's going to be shared one-on-one. -on -one. See, this Ethiopian official, he was seeking God. Okay? He was reading the scriptures. He just didn't understand how it all fit together. Right? So he needed someone to teach him. And I love how here in Acts chapter 8, that we see that God not only, that he knows, right? He knows and he cares for the individual just as intensely as he does the crowd. He responds to those who are far in the crowds in Jerusalem and those who are near in this Ethiopian man. And he does, he does it using his faithful followers who are, opening, who are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks and Philip moves and all of this takes place. So it says in chapter 8, verse 35, when Philip, so Philip began with that very passage of Scripture that he'd been reading in Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus. And I love the response of the man in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. 
And the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, we read, went on his way and he kept preaching and teaching and telling people about Jesus. But this man went on his way rejoicing because God had met him in his searching. God had brought him hope. God had brought him eternal life. And, and how did he do it? Well, God connected the man who was seeking him with the life of an ordinary follower of Jesus, who God enabled to do an extraordinary work. It's a pattern that we're going to see over and over again. So like, here's the deal. We're all pretty ordinary people. Right? Each of us are special and unique, and we're different from one another. But in and of ourselves, we're not capable of changing the world, nor the individual worlds of the people that God has placed in our lives. So how do ordinary people come to be used by God? Okay. Not a complete list, not an exhaustive list, and I certainly don't want you to think we're, we're about to do like a self-help talk, <laughs> right? Or if you check all these boxes, then you too could you know, be transported just like Philip, or you too could have the same power that Stephen did to perform miracles. No, these are observations from the New Testament about how you and I, as just ordinary people, put ourselves in a place where God can use us. And the first is this. Surrender your life to God. If you want to be used by God, you're going to have to choose to live for God. Embrace your reality, not just as his child, but also as his servant. Realize that you and I, when God saved us, he saved us for a purpose. And so we surrender our lives to his purposes. Second, grow in your faith by investing in your relationship with God and his people and his word. Okay? The men chosen in Acts chapter 6 okay, and the two of them that we highlighted, they were just followers of Jesus, right? But not just followers of Jesus. They were also men of faith and men of godliness, and men of wisdom. And these traits are grown in you and I by investing in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God, and with his people, and with his word. Third, be faithful to the opportunities that God provides for you to serve him and to speak for him. Like Stephen's ministry looked a lot different than Philip's. I mean, they both did miracles, but they were just different. And the other five men's lives, well, they're not even chronicled for us. And the apostles, their ministries looked different than these ministries looked. A little later in the book, we're going to meet Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. And each one of their lives is going to look a little bit different. Some will be mentioned by name. Some of their stories will be mentioned. Many of them, their stories won't be mentioned at all. The point is they all look different, like you and I look different. And yet each person was faithful 
to how God uniquely called them to serve him and to speak for him. And then fourth, look for where God is active and join him in his ministry. Okay? Uh, several years ago that I read this concept by Henry Blackaby. Okay? Because listen, not, not everyone is open to God all the time. Have you discovered that in your life? Where you want something spiritually for someone so much more than they want it? Where you want to tell them something they don't want to hear? Okay? Not everybody's open all the time to God. Not everyone's open to hear about what God is doing. And so for you and I, look where God is moving. Okay? Keep your spiritual eyes and ears open. Be still. And listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then join God and watch him do something extraordinary through you. Isn't that what Philip did? I mean, if you take a step back, he waited. And God said, go here. And he went. And God said, speak this. And he spoke. And incredible things happened. And then number five, finally there. Stay faithful. And let God determine the results produced in the life that you give to him. It's his kingdom. You're his servant. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one who's sovereign and in control. He knows who's open and he knows who's not open. He knows where to send you and when to send you and what words to give you, all those things. You know, three weeks ago, yesterday, in this baptistry right behind me, one of our TCC guys baptized his co-worker in this baptistry. Now, these two men have worked together for years, okay? And in his timing, God brought one man to a place where he knew that he needed to reach out to God for a change in his life. And it was different than Philip that we read about earlier because these two men, they'd been in relationship for a long time. And yet, in some ways, it's exactly the same. When God finds someone reaching out for him, God simply taps one of his faithful followers on the heart <laughs> to share the good news of Jesus. I've seen it happen so many times in life. The lives of friends and co-workers. Husbands and wives, parents and grandparents, children and grandchildren, neighbors and associates and teammates and, and people who share things in common, teachers and students, every day, we, as ordinary followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to put our lives in play for God and for His kingdom to open our eyes, to see where God is at work, to open our ears and hear God calling through the words of those around us, to open our hearts and to feel the hurt or the longing that people are experiencing and to open our mouths and to share the words of God that have changed our lives.
but it requires a choice. It calls for you and I to respond. First to God himself, and then to what he's doing around us, and ultimately to what he wants to do through us. God is looking for volunteers. <laughs> volunteers who will say, here am I. Send me. Use me. Touch someone through me. Speak through me. Care through me. And he's looking for someone who's willing and someone who's available. And listen, if you want to meet him today, I'm willing and available. <laughs> I'd love to talk with you when we sing after the service throughout the week. And I'd love you to be able to tell God with a pure heart today, sincerely, God, I am willing and I am available. Just an ordinary person. Would you use me to do something extraordinary and eternal for your kingdom? Let's pray together. Lord, you touch us in ways we don't expect. Um, you call us to things bigger than ourselves. In our reality, there are things that we are asked to do that we are unable to do. And yet, in our new reality, through your strength, through your spirit, by your power, we are able to do things that only you can do through us, Lord. And that's the point, that people might see you in us. Use us, Father. We are willing. We are available. We want to be used by you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.